0: Gosh, see, he keeps us in line, right? Thank you. Anyway, I was saying, this is really exciting. Uh, not as exciting as next week, but I'm really excited about the fact that pretty soon uh, we'll be meeting together. And there'll be some folks here. Uh, more than, I mean, you know, as many as can possibly be here. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And we'll enjoy each other's company. So thank God for that. Looking forward to the opportunity coming up next week. We are finishing Hebrews chapter 11. Um, talking about dwelling on, on things that are honorable and noble, right? Nobility. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for this beautiful day that you granted unto us the opportunity to assemble, to study your word, to listen to a portion of your word. Oh, God, we're thankful that you are willing to To speak to us, and that you've you've given us your word, all the things that we need to know, the mind of Christ. We ask, Lord God, that these scriptures that we read will encourage us and will help us to be better, to be happier, to be the people you would have us to be, to be faithful, trusting, and honorable. Thank you for Jesus, your great son, for that amazing example that he set, showing us that your law that seemed impossible to keep was able to be kept. But it's the people, Lord God, who have the fault, And we know that your law today is one that can be kept. But we have to choose to keep it and to love you more than we love our sin. Help us, Lord God, to grow in our faith, become more confident in our relationship with you because of and through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in his holy and precious name we pray and give thee thanks. Be Thy will, Amen. We are down to Isaac. Verses, um, we'll look at verse twenty in a moment because verse twenty um, of Hebrews really doesn't go elaborate on Isaac's faith when uh, the command from God came to Abram to sacrifice his son, his only son, and getting to the top of the mountain. We're talking about honor. What is? Whatever is honorable, whatever is noble, nobility. I think of uh, Isaac, and I think of, of nobility. I mean, he really um, inspires me to 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 stay faithful to God, regardless of what what's about to happen. and And he believed, maybe not as much as Abraham, because he's not mentioned as uh, as Abraham is. But he believed. His father said, "God will 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 give the sacrifice. God will provide." He believed that God would provide, but just imagine being the man lying on the table waiting for that knife to come down um, for your father to to kill you. Just imagine that and imagine after uh, they look and they see the ram caught in a thicket what does that do to your relationship with your father? you know but they had enough faith and confidence in God to where it didn't it didn't ruffle their relationship. That's honor. What a great, what an amazing thing. Whatever the Lord wishes, that we will do. And Isaac passed that faith. So Abraham down to Isaac, down to Jacob, uh, even through to Joseph. So we're going to look at verse 20 through 22. The Bible says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons, the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. So, you know, the, the understanding of you know that Jacob had, and and the understanding that we're coming out of this place, and they believed it by faith. They they lived it even to the dying day. They believed by faith that God would bring them out. Of the land because God promised that He would. And so, heroes of faith, what do they bring to your life in regards to nobility? Honor. I'm thinking now of of Miriam because she's the very next one that's mentioned here. Think about the faith you have to have, regardless of what's going on around you the Pharaoh has commanded that uh, the midwives kill every child that is a male-born, every Hebrew child that's a male. And you take this child that you've, you've now hidden, and you realize it's gotten to the point where you cannot hide him any longer. And you, you go down to the Nile River with this basket that you've made, and you place your child inside of the basket. And you believe by faith that this child is special. Which we all do, right? All of our children are special. But this child is special. And you put him in the crocodile infested, hippo infested Nile River. And believe that God is going to make that basket somehow float away. Into a place where this child is going to live and be fine. What kind of faith does she have? Yet she put him in that basket, if you will, down in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They put him in a basket and they let the basket float. And the, and the text tells us that he grew up In the house of Pharaoh. In verse 24. By faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Why not? They raised him. Well, after he was weaned. Why not? But by faith Moses held on to what he knew to be true and right. We have the, uh, the story and the account of Moses with his family in that it wasn't until he had that moment. It was just at that last moment that he realized he woke up. He had an epiphany, if you will, or this understanding. Of, Wait a minute, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm not an Egyptian. But the text doesn't say that. The text tells us that he refused to call or be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse twenty five, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover. The sprinkling, by the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven times. Faith, faith is the victory. How much faith does it take to gain more faith? Or what? What did they? What did they know? What did Moses know that we did not? Moses hadn't seen a miracle. Moses saw magicians. Moses hadn't known God, but Moses believed God, believed in God, and. The Egyptians, the Hebrews who were suffering, they trusted in God. They had lost their faith, but they kept on praying, believing that God would rescue them. What did they know about God that we maybe have forgotten? Or that maybe we don't know about God? The answer is nothing. You know what's amazing about the Scriptures for us? What's amazing is we... We have the whole. I mean, we have both sides of the of we, of the coin. We don't have one side of the coin. We have both sides of the coin. We have a view from from heaven. We have Earth's perspective, Earth's view. We even have Satan's view. We even get to look into the the mirror, if you will. Not maybe not even the mirror is probably the wrong word to use, but to look into the eyes of Satan through the scriptures and to know what he's thinking. To know he's the craftiest beast of the field. We get to see. We get to see the whole picture. But do I have the faith of seeing over and over again how God took people of honor and He blessed them in ways beyond compare? Do I gain a level of satisfaction and faith and comfort and confidence when I look back and I read into these accounts and I learned how God worked with his people. So imagine Jericho and Rahab and the whole, the whole land. They, they hear about the Israelites and the greatness of God. But Rahab surrenders and realizes that there's no way, it's absolutely impossible for us to win this battle. And Rahab submits to Moses, to the spies, to Israel, to God, what did Rahab know that we do not know, or that we have forgotten, or or perhaps that we we have ignored? When we get the whole picture and we get to see the great honor of God, and we understand respect, we see the dignity that God places upon His people. What did she know? Verse thirty and thirty one. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And so as we think about these texts, and we think about the word honor and nobility, the heroes of faith, as mentioned to us in the Bible, there's, there's such a deep-rooted faith and confidence that these folks have had in God, that perhaps if we think about our own lives, we could also realize the greatness of God in our lives. If you think about the things that God has done for you, that are certain, the things that the places that God has brought you to. I mean, where are you today? And you go, look at where I am today, and you go back to that small, you know, boy or girl, uh, you know, age age nine. When you started dreaming and saying things like, when I grow up, I want to be a whatever it may be. And maybe life didn't take you exactly where you wanted to go, but you end up where you are today. And as you look back, you say, thank you, God, for bringing me from there to where I am today. You might even say something like, God has brought me a mighty long way. And when you look back at your faith and you think about the greatness of God, think about those moments of honor. Those times when you were honored for doing the right thing, you were honored by others. And those times that you saw or watched or witnessed honorable things happening in front of you. Think about where God has brought you from to where you are today. And then think about your faith. These men and women, in verses 32 and following, it says, And what more shall I say? For time will fill me. If I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So I ask you to go back in in the Bible and and choose maybe uh, someone in the Bible that is... Is honorable to you not necessarily someone that you relate to but someone that is honorable to you or or noble and you take this person that's noble or honorable and look at their lives and then ask yourself as you're reviewing their life what did they know what did they learn how did they gain such faith or confidence in God you might even ask what did they see so here they are in the in the midst of the situation what did they see that I'm not, I'm not seeing right here in the Scriptures as I read about uh, their lives? Is there something that I'm missing? Maybe when I look at the life of, of Peter or, or Timothy, what, what am I missing about Timothy's life? Not, not what's written in the Scriptures about Timothy in the sense of what Paul said to him, but what, do I, what am I lacking in the character of Timothy? What was it about Timothy or Silas or Paul or Epaphroditus or whomever it is in the Scriptures? What am I missing and what do I have to do to gain the confidence and the faith that they had in Jesus? It's almost like the confidence and the faith that people have in the Bible in Jesus. We ought to have that much more because we can read it. And what it comes down to really is, if you think about it, is how much do I actually believe the Bible? Think about that. I mean, you know, the, the account of Moses, so we're thinking about Moses. Did all that really actually happen? When I think about Abraham and Isaac, did that really actually happen that way? Joseph was in prison and all the things he struggled with in Egypt. Did that actually happen that way? When I read the books of Ezra and and Esther, is that really what went on? Maybe my confidence is lacking because maybe I struggle with reading the Bible and believing what the Bible actually says, taking it literally. Word for word, as it is revealed to us, except for books like that, of prop prophecy and apocalyptic literature. What is it about these men and women that inspire you the most? That's that's the question. And then I want to turn over to uh, chapter twelve of Hebrews, and I want you to think about it for just a moment, Jesus. I know you say, "Well, Jesus Christ," you know, he's kind of a given. Remember, he was all man and all God. He could have sinned just like the rest of us. At any sec, any any time of the day, Jesus could have sinned like everyone else, but he chose not to. Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. So God has has place Jesus in this in this word and we read about Jesus and we know that God is going to take care of us but there's just something about being human so we have to say to ourselves okay there's something about being human here's what I've learned about myself some days I'm strong and some days I'm weak (laughs) some days I'm stronger and some days I'm weaker it's just human of us but, brethren, if we just continue to remain strong in our faith, just trust God and know that He will bring us through. It's amazing where we'll end up in the heavenly joys with God. Jesus was strong. But Jesus showed sometimes when he felt weak, didn't he? He prayed to the Father and asked for help. We know where our help comes from. And so and so trying to be in this habit of, of finding um, help from god when i need it to be in that habit consistently that's what these men of faith did that's that's where the honor is that's the nobility that's the noble side of these men they knew where to go to gain their strength and to get their help they knew to go to god jesus knew to go to the Scriptures and to go to God. And so we're learning as we look at the heroes of faith and we start pinpointing and thinking about what they had and what they knew and what they used. You start learning each individual, maybe not all, but there are so many individuals that reached in different directions to find their relationship strengthened in God. Like I mentioned, prayer, also going to God himself, uh, through just a regular conversation. Uh, I'm not saying that we are, are irreverent, but, you know, thinking about God, reminding yourself about the greatness of God, continually and constantly, and staying in prayer, and reading the scriptures, and meditating on the word, and just doing God like He, you know, whatever He said to do, taking God at His word. It's not always easy, but it's honorable. It's honorable. So Jesus, I wanna, I wanna bring this out, and then I wanna close honor out, and move to our next um, our next thought. I want to go to John chapter one. I'm gonna make one of the most ridiculous statements in the world. Yes, Jesus Jesus made the we know that, right? Jesus is the creator. We we got it. So why why was he why did he find himself weak at any moment in life? And that's that's where I gain this inner peace where I don't come down on myself. And you shouldn't come down on yourself when you feel weak. Because Jesus, the creator, the creator, suffered from weakness, too, while living on the earth. Because life, brethren, is tough, right? Something about physical pain reminds you who you are, right? It's, it's tough. And, and even just a, just a common cold, just it weakens us. And sometimes it takes us out of our character. John 1, verse 1, just just because. We'll read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He he was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and apart from Him, nothing was made that has been made. And Jesus, go down to verse um, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Brethren, but Jesus being the Creator, being God, knowing who He was and who He is, Jesus had help. Right? Even Jesus had help. The angels that ministered to Him, the Bible says, His apostles were there to help Him. Jesus had help. We don't have to think that we have to do this all alone. Right? We have each other, and 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 what a, what a beautiful thing it will be. Um, we're going to go to Philippians chapter uh, chapter two. What a beautiful thing it will be when when saints can can look at each other in our strengths in our and in our weaknesses and see Jesus, not be judgmental, but just see Jesus, another soul who belongs to God. What what an amazing blessing we have in Christ Jesus. If we can just see each other as Jesus sees us, as God sees us, we can do a lot better. We can do so much more for the cause of Christ that we can see humanity the way that Jesus sees humanity. If we can live our lives in a honorable way. So Jesus, in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2 had this certain attitude and the Bible is letting us know that here's the winning here's how you win this humility humility that's that's how we win we surrender and we submit our lives completely and wholly over to God in humility humility it's a big word because my pride, my pride fights my humility. My pride gets in there and says, Tony, you can do it. But humility says, you rely on God for everything. So Jesus, in verse 5, the text says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who? Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the knee of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility on our part and Jesus is our hero. Jesus, a man of honor, Who died because he loved us more than we've ever loved ourselves. Who died because he loved the Father more than we've ever loved God. A man of honor. Someone that we can look to and hold our heads high. Are you ashamed for people to know that you are a Christian? To know that you are a child of God? Sometimes that happens in our pride. We just don't want people to know. But brethren, if we're going to look to Jesus and look to nobility and think about honor, you have to look to Jesus. So the Philippian letter tells us, it says, whatever is, is right, whatever is honorable, or whatever is honorable, would, would, true rather, and now, today, whatever's right, whatever is right, that's that. That means perfect harmony. It's the same word as uprightness. Okay, um, some some could use it for righteousness, but it's whatever is right, whatever is unchanging. So the standards of righteousness remain the same. He says, dwell on these consistent laws of God. So here's a question. Have you ever, maybe in anger or frustration, hope for the downfall of a person that you just didn't want? You ever, you ever been there before? <laughs> okay. Have you ever um, thought about Ways to maybe, you know, get some retribution, some revenge on someone who's done you wrong. <laughs> have you ever uh, had tempting thoughts? of You know, lust or coveting or lying or stealing or something of that sort. And then have you ever wondered, like, how, how am I going to escape? And, and look for an escape route. You know, for something maybe you've done that that isn't isn't right. And then, how about this? Have you ever been caught in a trespass, and immediately your go-to was, "I got to find a way out"? Well, that's the opposite of whatever is true, or whatever is right, because whatever is right means you do the right thing, even when it hurts to meditate to dwell on doing what is right so that or so much so that the first thought that i have in my mind is i got to do what's right i have to do what's right in every circumstance it challenges my first thought this this idea this this thought of of, of always doing what's right and dwelling on what's right challenges my first thought My first thought isn't always to do what's right, but it should always be my first thought. And I should always strive in every way to do what's right. The more that we dwell on what's right, honorable and true, the more that we dwell on these things, they eventually will become our first thought. See, we need to transform our minds, right, from the old way of thinking to the new way of thinking. We've learned as children to grow up reasoning. And we learn to reason our way out of things. Which really ultimately becomes. We lie our way out of things. And it becomes habitual. But when you dwell on doing the right thing. It becomes a part of your character. It's who you are. So Romans tells us. There is this challenge with within us to um you know, to go against that, that, that's, that first nature, that first nature, that man, that, that me that I've learned to become and be is not always the man who is thinking about doing the right thing first. Maybe, maybe for a moment, you know, as a Christian, maybe you go, oh, well, I, and then you stop and you bring, oh, no, I gotta do the right thing. But, but God wants us to make sure that our character is such to where doing the right thing becomes number one in our relationship. The more that we dwell on doing right things, it's like a this meditation is like when you dream about something. You dream about it over and over. I can just see myself over such and such a place. I can see myself driving this car or I see myself doing this kind of work or, or whatever it may be, and you think about it enough, eventually you'll see yourself there. You'll be there. The same idea here. You meditate on these things. And before you know it, you'll realize that you are moving further or closer and closer toward the goal. It becomes the who that you are. A man of honor and dignity. Uh, a man, a woman who tells the truth. A, man who, a woman who's pure and right. And all the things that God says to dwell on. So now, Romans 3 says, here's the challenge. Beginning at verse 9. What then... Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. So here's that old man. God doesn't say we have to stay in sin. Even though we sin, God wants us to move away from sin. Right? He wants children of God, His people. He wants us to live in a way that brings glory and honor unto His name and fight those forces of evil that exist within us. Fight that pull toward the wrong direction. Let's think for just a moment about David. Let's go back to Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 11. And let's think about this um, situation with Bathsheba. When you think about David and Bathsheba, there there's a lot to consider. And we're not going to consider all of it. But I want you just to think about what was going on in David's mind and what he could have done to stop it. But he did not. It doesn't excuse what he has done, but he was weak. But now as we look back and think about that, we could say David should have been Joseph and fled, right? We can give a whole lot of scripture about what David should have done in hindsight looking back. But here's what's important. As we play this scenario in our mind, let this be a reminder to us to strengthen our relationship with God so that if we're ever in a situation like this, we can flee immediately because the Scriptures come to mind that give us the strength to do the right thing. Right? So it doesn't come as a surprise or a shocker to us. In verse 3, verse 3, so David sent and inquired about the woman. One said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah? the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Okay. We know at any moment, David could have turned around, but it is what it is. He did not. When, when David heard that he was, she was pregnant, what does he not do? He doesn't go to God. I mean, he doesn't go to God at all anyway, right? He doesn't, it's it's amazing about, about self. When I want something uh, desperately enough, badly enough, I'm not, I'm not going to go to God if it's not right. You know, you don't, we don't do that. But we're supposed to allow our second nature To become our first nature. In other words. Allow our Christianity to come first. Before the flesh. And so. Here David was thinking. Okay. Now she's pregnant. Now I'm caught. Now what am I going to do? And he's at that fork in the road. That we come to in our lives every day. Where I could do this. Or I could do that. And David. Instead of going to God and repenting and asking for forgiveness he goes all in doesn't he and that's what happens you see sometimes we go all in he concocts a plan in his mind and here's what's amazing about the account when you read uh, Jonah and David and all the you know other other folks in the bible they think for some reason like we we get to see the picture of our minds, that we think God doesn't see us. (laughs) Like, we think God doesn't know. But God is ever-present. And for just a moment, David thought, you know, God doesn't know what I'm doing. Nobody knows what I've done. So he puts together a plan. He goes all in. And it doesn't work. And when that plan doesn't work, instead of stepping back and saying, you know, this didn't work because God, God's watching me, he doesn't even think about God. He he goes to plan B, plan C, plan D. He's going to make sure that he wins at this sin game. And brethren, it's not a game to God. right? So our first nature has to be, I want to be like God. I want my nature to. To be like God. Whatever God thinks and whatever God wills and whatever God wants, I want to be like God. I ask um, young married couples, if you, uh, the first question is, do you plan on being in this relationship for, for the rest of your life? Yes, yes we do. Okay, well then treat it that way. Treat your marriage that way. Treat your marriage as if I'm going to be in this for the rest of my life. Now what kind of marriage do you want to have? Do you want to have the greatest marriage in the world? Then put your greatest effort into it. Right? Do you want a mediocre marriage? Then put mediocrity into it. You know, what you put in is what you get out. And so in our relationship with God, don't you want to go to heaven and be with God forever? And since we're going to be with God forever, how much, what do you want to put into this? You want to put it all in or you just, or do you just want mediocrity? So in our relationship, to think like Jesus, to think What does Jesus think? What would Jesus do? What? WW, is that right? WWJT, what would Jesus do? To think about, you have to read the Bible to get that answer. And the more that we stay in the Word of God, it doesn't mean we're not going to sin, but the more that we stay in the Word of God, the more that we're going to think about doing the right thing. Whatever is right. The more that we're going to be able to recognize righteousness and see God in everything. And that's what's beautiful. To be able to see God, even in things that I may consider bad or horrible or whatever it may be, to be able to see God is amazing. And what a beautiful blessing it is. Turn to 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to begin to wrap up, uh, beginning at verse uh, 7 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 8. Little children, Let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So, the question is, righteousness and evil, which side of the fence do I want to be on? What do I consider right and what do I consider evil or wrong? Better yet, what does God consider right and what does God consider evil? And of the two, which side of the fence has my life been on today? When I look back and I think about my life, what have I done that is right and that pleases God and bring His honor and glory to God What have I done that's evil, that dishonors God, that isn't right? What have I thought about today? Have I thought about things that are right? Have I thought about things that are evil? The things I've thought about that are evil, the things that I've done that are evil, Have I confessed those to God and repented today and made that right with God so that I can be right with God? Or did I I kind of make those small in my mind in hopes to forget them and pretend like it never existed? Whatever is right. And so tonight, I encourage you to think about in your life what is right? What am I doing that's Right? What am I doing that's right? And if the answer to that question is small, what else can I do that's right? What more can I do that's right? Because what I want to do is stay away from what's wrong, what's evil. And so, tonight, I encourage you to pray to God and ask Him to set your feet on solid ground on the right side and steer clear in a way, far, far away from whatever is evil. And know that regardless of whatever you've done in your life that is wrong, if you confess and repent, God will forgive it. And you just have to trust it. If you are not a Christian, we encourage you to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. The opportunity is there. The information is on the board. Please contact us, and we will do uh, everything that uh, is within our power with teaching uh, the Word of God to help you to learn Jesus and to learn Him uh, correctly so you can surrender to Him and give your life to Him. The lesson is yours. Thank you for your time tonight. We really appreciate you. God bless you.